Okay, y'all, today we are in for such a treat. I know this because I got to sit in on this conversation and it was just such a blessing, such a joyful day. I got to drive out from Los Angeles to Ojai, California to sit down with Gay Hendricks and his wife, Katie Hendricks, to talk about life and ambition and goals and relationships. And it ended up being over two hours of just such incredible wisdom from teachers who have been in the field of behavioral psychology for decades. I felt like I was sitting with your dream grandparents and they were making me and Jack coffee and telling us all their wisdom. And while I originally went out super excited to talk to Gay about his famous book, The Big Leap, the conversation that was most profound to me was when his wife Katie joined us and we had what you're about to hear, which is a chat about their very, very, very successful book, Conscious Loving. It was on the Oprah Winfrey show. It sold a bajillion copies and it's all about the healthy way to engage in a romantic relationship. The line on the cover of the book is a way to be fully together without giving up yourself. And I devoured this book because I thought it was just such a conscious, I know that's in the title, but a conscious way to approach a relationship and definitely the kind of relationship that I want to have in my life. One that's based on honesty, one that honors each individual, one that encourages self-expression and creativity. And if you are single, I think you're going to love this. If you are in a relationship, I really encourage that you get your partner, maybe listen to it together because these are two beautiful humans who have been married for 42 years. They're both PhDs. They're so wise. And I am telling you, Jack and I were astounded when we left. We were talking about this. Like you could feel, it was palpable how in love they are, how in love they are after 42 years. I felt like I was sitting with two teenagers and I walked out of their house that day thinking, man, if I can't have this kind of relationship, if I can't be in my 80s and still be looking at my partner like this, I don't want it. Like this is what I am aspiring to have. So let's listen into this wisdom. I hope you get so much out of the conversation and really want to make sure that if you dig it and you want to dig in further, you grab their book, Conscious Loving, The Journey to Co-Commitment. This is my chat with Gay Hendricks and Katie Hendricks. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. 
This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. I told Gay this already, but I started with the big leap and then systematically began working through the entire back catalog. <laughs> I was like, what else can I get my hands on? And came across this incredible conversation about relationships uh, in a way that I had never really seen done before and felt so healthy to me and so aligned with the kind of woman I'm trying to be and the kind of relationship I want to have. So I'm so grateful that I now get to talk to both of you. Can you tell the story of how how that work came to be? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. Well, yeah. I think both of us were already very interested in transformation and people really enjoying being alive. Uh, and we were both doing transformational work when we met. And I specialized in uh, movement and the language of the body that comes through movement and how that can add to a person's knowledge of themselves and what they want to choose in life. And Gay came from having developed energy work and breath work. And when we met, we uh, we said, wow, what a con- <laughs> and, and the way we met was, I mean, it was a prophecy of what was to come because I actually, I spent a lot of my time in my 20s trying to figure out how to create happiness internally, you know, how to feel good inside. But then when I got into my 30s, I realized that my relationship life was basically all had the trajectory of the Titanic. You know, they would all start with great fanfare, but then they'd hit the iceberg six months later. And uh, it took me about 10 of those in my 20s to realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm the iceberg. Right. You know that? <laughs> and, uh, but I had this real epiphany a month before I met Katie. I had a kind of a download. I was, I had been in this on and off relationship for five years and I was in the middle of an argument with, um, the woman whose name was Carol. And I suddenly had this, I don't know where it came from, but I had a realization that this wasn't our 500th argument. It was our 500th version of the same argument. And suddenly I, it dawned on me, wait a minute, they all have the same pattern. What's the pattern? And I realized the pattern was that one of us would not be telling the truth to the other one about something important. And it could be a feeling inside, or it could be something we've done, but uh, I would not tell the truth to the person. I would hide the truth. And then I would begin to devalue them. They would look less trustworthy. And and I didn't realize it was because I was hiding the truth from mm -hmm. them that I had to devalue them. And I also had this bad habit of every time I would get into a relationship hassle, I would always kind of go for the victim position. You know, why are you doing this to me? Why are you always doing this to me? And and the other person would always be busily doing the same thing, you know? <laughs> and uh, so we would get into these things about whose fault it was, and that would go on for ages sometimes. And the third thing I realized in this download I got was that a lot of my relationship problems came from something internal in me that I wasn't expressing my own full creativity and my own genius. And because I wasn't expressing myself creatively, I blamed the other person for oppressing my creativity. Holding you back. Holding me back. And this was the thing that happened. And, and so I was in the middle of that, and this, and I realized, oh, 
there's a simple solution to those three things. One <laughs> is always tell the truth about everything in your relationships. Um, you know. <laughs> Number two, instead of going for the victim position, take responsibility for it. Figure out why I'm dreaming up this kind of conflict. You know, why would I create this conflict right now? And instead of blaming it on the other person. And the third thing was, I got to make a bigger commitment to my creativity so I don't blame other people for limiting my creativity. So with this fresh in my mind, <laughs> I that relationship was over for me when I realized that. And um, so anyway, I went out to California the next month and I was going to give a talk at the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. And it was, uh, I, I'd given workshops there before. It was a place where a bunch of people were getting their uh, PhDs in, in uh, transpersonal psychology. And so I walked into this room, probably 50 people, and they were all waiting there for me to start the thing. And I saw this woman across the way, and she was probably 50 feet away, but she had this aura about her. She just had this special glow about her, and I'd never seen anything quite like that. And so I... I um, I made this mental note, I gotta find some way to meet her. You know, I don't know anything about her, but she's just too yummy to to not go over there, you know? And uh, so anyway, I started the workshop and had my, you know, after a while I, I, we took a break. And Katie, unbeknownst to me, was not only getting her PhD there, she was one of the professors there because she was working off her some of her fees by being the movement therapy professor there. So anyway, during the break, I didn't have to go over to her because she came over to me <laughs> and she now enters the conversation. <laughs> so I want to back up just a moment to the beginning of the workshop because it was in a very strange place where I got my PhD. The Institute of Transpersonal Psychology was held in the basement uh, of a place called Vallambrosa in Menlo Park. And you could see uh, the bottom part of people walking by because they had windows that you could just see the bottom parts of their bodies. And it was a dojo. So there were mats on the floor and people were sitting on a circle. And so wow. just to give you the okay. setting, because it was a little bit California. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so when Gay was looking around the circle of about 50 people, I could see that he was checking out people's energy. And I could do that, but I'd never seen anybody else doing that. And so I was very interested in what he was doing as he was moving around the circle. And then he came past me and then came back. And we had what I now call a recognition. We recognized each other. And there was this profound thing that happened. And then he went on and he hadn't even opened his, boy, uh, opened his mouth yet. And so when he started to talk, I thought, first of all, this is the funniest guy I've ever heard. And this is the smartest guy I've ever heard. And I still have a the notebook of uh, the notes that I took that weekend with my fountain pen and my very careful. So I thought, oh, I just, this is so fascinating. So mostly I was, I fell in love with your consciousness mm -hmm. first. And then when I went up uh, over the break, I had a question to ask him. So I came up over the break and I started to ask him, and I never got the question out of my mouth because the first thing he said to me was, I'm very attracted to you. <laughs> and, it was a, you know, it was a, well, you always tell the truth. Exactly. And I, so I decided I was going to do this relationship right. I wasn't going to hide no. anything. And so I said, um, I'm very attracted to you. And uh, I don't know if this is going to be our last conversation or the first in of many, uh, but I would love to ask you out for a cup of coffee with me. 
But I <laughs> got to let you know that I just had this realization and I want to tell you what the terms are so you can see if it's something that's interesting to you. I only and so want, he laid them out. <laughs> I only want relationships where both people are scrupulous about telling the truth all the time and where both people take responsibility for things rather than blaming each other and where both people are committed to their relationships so that, I mean, committed to creativity so they don't take out their lack of creative fulfillment on the other person. And so on those terms, would you like to have coffee with me? So here's what I heard. <laughs> I heard I heard that, and I also heard, hey, I don't care what you're doing. I want you to drop whatever you're doing, and I want you to come out to Colorado with me for this adventure. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to go, but would you would you be willing to do that? And so it took me about 15 seconds. <laughs> and so I came back with, how about lunch? Yeah, she, so she took it to the next level. And that's that was 42 amazing. years ago, kids. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> the idea of, uh, I was such a, I know it wasn't a line, but it was such a good line. As a writer, I'm like, oh, I fell in love with his consciousness first. Do you feel like, had that always been how you would find, whether it was romantic relationships or, you know, friends, or was that something that you evolved into? Because I would mm. say as mm. I've gotten older, I would be more aware of someone's consciousness. When I was younger, in my 20s, I didn't, I didn't have that language at all. So how did you even know to seek that? Well, that's a great question. Well, I had always, since I was little, been able to tell the difference between how people presented themselves and what was really going on. And the I, I was really a student of what makes people either really alive or get into trouble. And uh, so I'd, I'd been very interested in how does consciousness work? There are a lot of people who say, like, for example, you know, just change your beliefs and other things will change. But I go, well, how does that work? How does that work? And so the whole, because part of my background is uh, my father was an engineer. Both my brothers were engineers. My mother was a crazy artist. Mm. So both how does life work and what's the glory of life? And the, those sort of played out in me all my life. And so the what I heard and saw with you right away was that you were interested in the how. Mm -hmm. How does consciousness become real? How does it become different than just something that we talk about and then we go about business as usual? And so something about bringing together the ability to give attention to something and to meet that with your inner awareness those two things create tremendous power for things to shift and to to move in a a direction of more aliveness, more alignment, and more co-creativity. So all of the things that Gay that you talked about that make a relationship work actually make life work as well. And it was so fascinating to me to meet somebody who was interested in the same kinds of weird stuff that I'd been interested in all my life. Yeah. <laughs> you said something earlier that you were you have always been aware of of what causes one person to make their life bad and what causes another what is that thing what is it the consciousness and this idea of co-creation and sort of the way that we see the world mm -hmm. i think it is in in some ways being able to face into the world the way it actually is and to be able to resonate with to go oh yes i see that this person is 
a player is really engaged full out. And that's one thing I saw in Gay, like he's going full out into uh, life and not waiting for somebody else to do it first. So that spirit of adventurousness, but also the willingness to be open to discovery, open to learning, not as a principle, but as an ongoing way of living. And to me, that's just the sexiest thing there is. <laughs> no, just the the what wants to happen now, what's evolving, what's going on here, what could happen instead, what's the opposite of this. So just the whole frame of we start out with basically everybody's got the same material and what do we make of it, I think really depends on curiosity willingness to let go of your point of view, but also just the full engagement. Most people are not engaged. Yeah, You know, they're back behind, they have a persona out front that, you know, makes them fit in, but they're not really interested in what can happen here on this amazing adventure of life. And um, I knew with Gay that I would have, I would never be bored. (laughs) (laughs) I think also being willing to step out into the unknown over and over, you know, and not wait for somebody else to give you a guarantee, that willingness to go, okay, I'm just going to go for it and we'll see what happens. That was... So I realized when I first met Gay was my first experience of making a big leap. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I left my practice, I left all of my friends, and I moved from California to Colorado. Wow. After how much time? Uh, I had known Gay for, we we totaled it up, I'd known him for a total of three days. <laughs> Stop. I did not. Oh, my gosh. Did everyone think you were crazy? Uh-huh. Oh, they did. Wow. And, and you just yeah. knew in your gut. I I knew, but it was also really interesting because I think it activated so much fear in other people of, you know, we can do life differently. You know, we don't just have to go along these tracks and, you know, everybody divided into different polarities. Uh, So there was a big scandal. All my classmates thought I'd been possessed and they thought the gay was the bad guy. Right. Yeah, so it was it was a it was a huge wonderful scandal because it really shook things up for for, for everybody. a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, even with these feelings and sort of knowing that you know here's the direction that we're going and we can see now 42 years later, like good job, it, it worked. worked. It worked. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm totally wrong, but it feels like making the decision for the first time ever to decide to be totally honest yeah. with a partner that 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 feels like it would be a bit tough, at least for me. I mean, that that feels like a wild idea because I believe that I am an honest person. But I'm also positive that there are things I don't say to my boyfriend because I don't want to hurt his feelings. Uh, yeah. So is this like honesty at all costs? Yep. Is okay? Well, okay. well in what we honed, because it, it took really years to figure out how that works operationally, yeah. you know, to tell the truth all the time. So one of the things that we hit really quickly was that both of us had grown up with constant criticism. That was kind of the water we swam in. And so I would hear something that Gay would say as criticism, rather than him saying what he was experiencing or what he noticed about me. So that actually took several years to move, well, actually to end blame and criticism. Because a lot of people think, I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is that you're a jerk. (laughs) That's the truth, you know? 
and yeah. and what we that's found not the truth. and yeah. that's not the truth and to so to uh, hone that telling the truth is actually sharing my experience as I'm experiencing it as accurately as I can. It's more like describing than it is declaring. Oh, that's good. And so the more we got into, here's what's happening for me, here's what I'm noticing, and risking that the other, I have no idea how he was going to respond, whether he was going to be hurt or angry or excited. But going into that over and over again gave us the opportunity to find out that that telling the truth is actually the only safety there is. You know, and if we weren't feeling safe, I what I came to was, oh, I, there's a deeper layer. There's a deeper layer. And that was part of the discovery that was so exciting in the first years of when I landed on something that was actually unarguable, the argument stopped. Okay, explain that. When you landed on something unarguable. Like if I was saying, you know, I don't, I feel uncomfortable about, you know, what just happened. And he would, that would create argument. But if I, if I went down to, oh, when you said that, I just, I felt my, my face got hot and I started having some racy thoughts and I realized I got afraid that you were going to leave me. So that following down to what was most deeply true always had to do with me, never had to do with him. And he can't argue back because this is your experience. Right. Yeah. He yeah. can't say, your face didn't get hot, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. yeah. Although in my practice, I had one couple who came in and she said, oh, no, actually he said, oh, I've been feeling really sad lately about what's been going on in our relationship. And he said, no, you haven't. And I went, uh-oh. <laughs> that yeah. Does, that doesn't happen very often, though. <laughs> yeah, but, when, yeah. when somebody does say something that's absolutely straight on, you know, like I'm scared or I'm angry or I'm sad, the other person never argues with that. Mm -hmm. they, they have the opportunity to drop down into a level of authenticity yeah. themselves. Not, not everybody takes that opportunity, but that does happen. And when it happens, it's real magic because oh. often here's a kind of a strange thing that I learned after doing marriage in relationship work for a few years, almost everybody, they come in arguing, but then when they get down to the deepest level, they find out that they were both afraid of the same thing. Ooh. You know, like both people are afraid of abandonment, but they yell at each other out of the anger level mm -hmm. uh, based on that old fear, but they don't realize that both of them have the same fear. Wow. And that's actually one of the gifts of getting into a close relationship is that you can heal the wound that both of you have. Wow. Do you find that often couples have the same wound? Yeah, very yeah. often. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. And they've learned to deal with it in different ways depending on their family situation. So like I learned to be super responsible <laughs> because <laughs> that worked in my family. Uh, and it was kind of the only role that was left. Um, but that wasn't the way that gay, gay really, you became kind of a, a loner and a, uh, yeah. yeah. My family was so nutty that I didn't want to have <laughs> anything to do with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I just finished writing a memoir and the whole first chapter is called Family Matters about my wild and crazy family. I can't it's, wait for it to come out. Because, it's got some very, very fun stuff in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, especially there were 
family patterns yeah. that had been going on for years. like Generations. Yeah, my grandmother and grandfather got into an argument in 1925, and it never got resolved. And I didn't get born <laughs> until 1945, but yep. they were still fighting about it. My mother said that they were together for 63 years, but it didn't really count because they were not speaking to each other for 59 <laughs> and a half. <laughs> <So> <laughs> but I grew wide. up around a lot of conflict, and yeah. I think I just shut it out, mm -hmm. you know, and went about my merry way, which was probably a decent adaptation to it. You know, seven-year-olds don't yeah. make very good family therapists. Yeah, so, you tried. I tried. <laughs> I, I, I was the designated uh, person who ran things back and forth between my grandparents when they wouldn't speak to each other. I would have to go uh, tell granddaddy that uh, granny was going to do something. And uh, so, uh, uh, but that's not much fun. And uh, I found it to be a pattern that I didn't want to participate in. So I just kind of pulled back, I think. And that was my pattern coming mm -hmm. to our relationship too. I was a, don't fence me in. Splitter. What well, we would yeah. call a splitter. Like, we uh, say there's two types of people. There's glommers and there's splitters. And glommers really like to hug and they're... I'm definitely a glommer. <laughs> yeah. I'm for sure a glommer. <laughs> and as if by magic, a glommer often ends up getting into relationship with a splitter. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'm looking and at then, my own relationship right now, like, yep, yep I and got then, it. And then trying to change each other. Yeah. Mm. You know, like, you know, trying to make the, the splitter into a glommer and vice versa. So yeah. one of the cool things through our relationship is really learning from each other and expanding our repertoire. So like, I'm always going to be a glommer, but I've learned how to have a direct relationship with the universe, not through anybody else. So I can just really feel my own belonging here on the planet and, you know, my own connection to everything. And then I can bring that feeling of wholeness into my relationship rather than trying to get him to fill in for something I think I'm missing. Can we unpack that? Because I feel like, I don't want to say just women, because obviously there are men who feel like this too, but for myself and so many women I know, we were raised with this belief that you just needed to find a partner and you would find this partner, you would find this prince charming and then life would be good and you would be happy. And mm -hmm. it's almost so I was raised in a very uh, religious home. My dad was a Pentecostal minister. My granddad was a Pentecostal minister. And so I sort of had this in two ways, right? I had this first, you, you need to be connected to God, right? That's how you're right. going to get. And then you also need to eventually be connected with this husband that that's going to make everything okay. Right. And never was anyone having a conversation with me about how to connect on my own because I grew up in a home where even to get to God, you had to go through a pastor or right. a priest right. or a church. Uh, so coming into my late 30s, going through a divorce was the first time as an as an adult woman that I was on my own and exploring these things for the first time that yeah. what does it look like to be a whole person by myself mm -hmm. and to go into a relationship with someone who is also whole not you know the Jerry Maguire like you complete me thing mm -hmm. which right. is so toxic but how if someone is just starting to figure that how did you understand that you had this inner being that could be whole and complete by yourself before you took it into a relationship. 
Well, I started reading, I got very fascinated about the world's mythologies when I was about 11. And I had read all of the world's mythologies as a teenager. And so the the themes of do I have a direct connection with divinity or do I have to go through something, that goes through all of the mythologies in the world. And I decided I was going to have a direct relationship uh, to life energy, basically. And I also looked at what my mother had to go through because she was a a frustrated artist. She actually, her genius was as an artist. And then she got married because that's what you did. She said she didn't finish college. She got an MRS instead, a Mrs. (laughs) And, And so I saw the model of what happens when you don't fulfill your own creativity and your own creative urge because she tried really hard to be, my father was an executive with General Motors. And so she did a lot of entertaining and she that she had these three kids. And it's like, you know, I could tell that she was just incredibly frustrated. And unfortunately, she took it out on everybody in the family. But I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try and live through or get my fulfillment from the scraps that come from the people who have power. And so I started looking at the patriarchy, you know, when I was very little, like, oh, I don't, this isn't fair. Wait a minute. How come, how come I you know, uh, have to be the one who waits uh, and the one who served later? And um, so I started looking at that. And I, so the other part of my personality that came through very early on was uh, what we now call sluggo, which is when I was in the fourth grade, my teacher started bullying somebody, another one of the students, and something brought me up out of my chair. And I said, you can't talk to him that way. And so the whole justice and fairness started uh, expressing itself in me pretty early on. And if someone is, I, I, I just like this, this concept of trying to figure out how to be complete on your own, whether you're single or whether you're currently inside of a relationship, is that work through therapy? Is that, you know, is there advice either of you mm. have for how to curate this completeness? Mm. Yes. One question. thing you have to understand about all human beings, whether they're men or women or whoever, it's, it's that we both have an urge mm. to merge with other people and we both have an urge to be individuated. So. That goes on. You can even see it in the first year of life. In the first six months of life, it's all about nurturing and bonding and getting a sense of trust. The second six months, you're learning to crawl, you're exploring, you're going out into the world. And the same process goes on throughout life that we're always in the process of getting close to other people or the magic finally when you find out that you can be close to Mm. another person and your full individual self. That's that's the kind of the payoff mm-hmm. at the end of things because up until end of, you know, patterns, like a t- common pattern we work with also is a very logical person <laughs> often gets married to a very ero- emotional person <laughs> yeah. and then spends the next 40 years trying to make them less emotional yes. and more logical. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and vice yes. versa. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so what you have to do is at some point, wake up to those patterns, just like I woke up to that pattern before I met Katie. At some point, you have to kind of shine a flashlight on that and say, oh, I see, I keep doing the same thing over and over again. 
And at that point, you have the chance of waking up out of the pattern and actually making a choice to say, okay, I want to be a fully evolved human being. I want to be able to be fully close to another person and I want to be completely my own person too. Mm -hmm. And it's possible to have mm -hmm. both of those things. It just takes a lot of work and dedication to both of them. That work, though, is really one choice at a time. Oh, that's and, good. Yeah. And that choice, because we, we think, oh, it's so, right. how can I possibly get there? And the the choice to interrupt a pattern and to do something different. So if you're a glommer, like really likes to get close, to spend time alone without any input from anybody else, just, you know, a little 10 minutes at a time, just seeing what occurs for me when I'm just by myself. What do I want? What do I enjoy? What do I want to choose? Because like when Gay and I got together, I was like a surgical nurse. I could tell what he wanted before he knew what he wanted. <laughs> but before he would say, what do you want? And I go, ah, uh, and I didn't actually know how to know what I wanted. It was that fundamental. And so really just making choices like, what do I want to eat? Where do I want to go? What do I want to read? Rather than when, oh, sure, honey. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than doing the, oh, sure. Just those one choice at a time really begins to shift and to give you a sense of confidence of, oh, oh, that one worked out or, oh, I see that didn't quite work. So I make a little adjustment or I inquire more deeply. So the, it can be, also it can be fun, not hard work. Cause I think one of the big mythologies about relationship is, oh, it's hard. Have your Marriage fun. Marriage is hard work. Us compromise. Yeah. Right. And, and we've found that that's just bunk. I think that's just an excuse for not taking responsibility for having what you want and asking for what you want and navigating that. You talk about this in the book and I feel like the, forgive me because I've read a lot of your work lately, but I feel like you make this, uh, you talk about two business associates who were arguing and you came in to counsel them and it took, you know, one minute because it was sort of like you need to both take ownership of this argument. And you had this great illustration of, I'm trying to explain your work, which is hilarious because you're sitting in front of me and you can do it. But what I'm hoping that you will walk us through is what happens in an argument that both sides are trying to be victims yeah. and they that you have to take right. ownership. Yes. 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 That's the big thing in relationship is that I'm, I'm just, right. I'm right. Yeah. I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Well, the thing is, all relationship squabbles contain a race to occupy the victim position. That's it. One yeah. person stakes out the victim position and say, Katie, you're making me miserable. If you would only stop doing X, Y, and Z, I'd be a lot happier. And the other person, of course, doesn't say, oh, they don't say, you know, you're right. I am ruining your life. They, they don't, <laughs> Let they don't. me stop ruining your life. Yeah. <laughs> what the other person does is they say right back. Well, if you hadn't done uh, QRS before I did X, Y, Z, we wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah. So and both, all my friends think so too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the next level. It's right. when you start gathering evidence. Yes. You know, you say, none of your friends would like to tell you what a bitch you are, but <laughs> I need to inform they, you. Right. Uh, but back to the er, underneath every argument is that race to occupy the victim position, which involves disowning responsibility. Mm -hmm. And what people need to realize is that two individuals are actually make 
200% responsibility. This idea blew my mind. Yeah. One person is 100% and the other person is 100%. But there's a delusion that people, you know, one person is 50 and the other person is 50 and they make 100. And that's erroneous because you're an individual. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the partner is a full evolved individual. And if the person steps out of that realization and says, you're making me miserable, they're going below the line of taking full responsibility. The only way out of situations like that is for both people to own it and say, hmm, okay, why am I creating this argument right now? Rather than it's your fault. You know, hmm, what am I feeling? What am I, what's missing in me that's causing me to have this kind of argument with you? And what is there to learn from this? Because people mistake responsibility for blame or burden. But what we've discovered is that when you take responsibility, you're actually reclaiming your creativity. Because we're always creating, but it's mostly unconscious. And the pattern of I'm the victim here, and that's what I'm committed my creativity to, is proving I'm the victim. But if I actually take responsibility, which is, I'm responsible for this. What am I doing? Hmm, that whole hmm, getting curious about looking at the result and saying, hmm, how am I contributing to this? What just arose? Oh, that reminded me of my interactions with my brother. And I just just popped right out of my mouth. Oh, okay. And underneath that, what I really want is. So you start realizing that responsibility is intimately tied to creativity. Well, it sounds to me like we need y'all to explain your definition of creativity because this sounds so much deeper and richer than what I, you know, I'm going to go paint. I'm going to go write. I'm going to take a photograph. Creativity sounds like everything. It it It, is. Yeah. 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 And it goes into how you live every moment of your Mm -hmm. life. Like Katie is a wonderful chef and I love to watch her make food because it's like watching Picasso paint or watching um, Leonard Bernstein create a symphony or something. It's, you know, she touches everything and it's like everything gets its little bit of love as she's mm-hmm. making lunch. And so she's expressing her genius through that way. But she can also sit down and write a poem and, or do other things too. So creativity, you need to think of it almost like life energy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that juice that makes us feel alive. And we're all living representatives of the universe itself because we're all made of the same particles that everything else is made of. They're just expressed in different ways, but everything is made out of the same stuff. And the universe itself is busily creating like crazy all the time. Like there's a place out in the universe where it's giving birth to 32 new suns, S-U-N-S, per second. 32 new suns wow. are pouring out of this hot spot. <laughs> things like our sun, you yeah. know, big things. The entire universe at the size, at the moment of the Big Bang was connected, um, was compressed into this tiny little thing the size of a marble. And then there was this gigantic explosion. And then Everything went every which way, and then suddenly, here we are, 15 billion years later, coming down the pike in evolution to the place where we can actually have connections with each other that are not purely 
based on instinct. Yes. You know, yeah. and that now we can figure and survival. out hmm, who do I want to be? How do I need to be to have successful relationship? And we can begin to do these things consciously. You know, life really begins in a way the moment you have that first conscious positive thought about how you want to be rather than how you have to be or how you're up, how you should be or something like that. I love the idea of thinking of creativity this way, because you said earlier, you know, it's almost like people are using that creative power to create a narrative to make themselves right or to keep themselves safe. Or, and if you actually harness that into something bigger and greater, Mm -hmm. what is the effect it would have in your life? And the lives of other people too, because a lot of we all come in, we, we're trained by the culture, by generations that have come before us about how we're supposed to behave and how we're supposed to be. There's a researcher, Hall, who years ago looked at all of the nonverbal signals and uh, that uh, boys and girls learn. Before they get into school, boys and girls have learned over 6,000 nonverbal gestures, ways of being that distinguish them as boys and girls. So that's just in gender. So if you think about the patterns you learn from your family, from the culture, from media, uh, it's a lot to, uh, to shape you from the outside. But the task of realizing yourself is awakening your own realization that I am the same as everything else in the universe. And what is it that's wanting to come through me? What is it that's wanting to be expressed through me? And that is such a joy to be with people as they're discovering what they what we call their genius, what they most love to do that also makes a contribution to others. I'd love if you could explain projection. Oh. There, yeah, so there isn't a great segue, but <laughs> you're talking about counseling people. And I, I remember reading about that going, okay, I mm-hmm. definitely do this. I mean, I a million times and have had this happen to me. So I feel like it would really be helpful for listeners. Yes. Well, projection is the action of attributing to somebody else something that's true for you. There's classic examples of it all over the place, but how it works in relationship is it's part of a three-step unconscious process that goes withhold, withdraw, and project. And how it works is a person will withhold something like I'm feeling hurt and don't share it, or I'm feeling angry, I'm scared, and I I haven't shared it. So I withhold something. And the act of withholding takes you out of that 100% relationship because now you've decided the other person is not worthy to know the real you. Yes. You devalue them. Mm-hmm. You begin to project onto them that they don't care about you. Mm-hmm. And it's simply based because you haven't shared mm-hmm. that. And they don't have anything to care about because you're hiding the real you. And so that process, I mean, golly. Mm-hmm. I remember being on talk shows where we would start <laughs> talking about the value of honesty and being able to speak. And I remember one person, a woman stood up in the audience and started, she says, I've lied to my husband every day for 29 years and we're still together. And the audience goes, yay, you know, and I said, okay, you guys are cheering for something there, you know, that's not exactly healthy. And, but people get programmed to think of other people as um, not worthy of their, communicating the fullness of who they are. And, and 
you know, sometimes they have a lot of evidence for that, you know? Yeah. So I'm not saying that this is completely a hallucination. It's that what we do is, you know, like, like, do you remember that Farrah Fawcett movie where she was married was to the, the guy, bed. the burning bed, it oh, was called? Uh, no. Well, um, I think it was, it was from a while ago. Back in the, uh, quite a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to old people here. Yeah. <laughs> so back in our day. <laughs> uh, but it, it's an interesting story because it's based on an actual true event of a woman who, after many years of abuse, poured gas on her husband while she was while he was sleeping and set him on fire. Whoa. And and killed him. And yeah. killed him. And so they made a movie about that. But what they didn't make a movie about is after she got out of that relationship and got got away with the burning him because there was good excuses that uh, she had for doing it because of the abuse. Then she went right out and got involved with a heroin addict, you know, after going through this whole drama with husband number one right. and killing him, then went out and picked another person who had just as many flaws, but in another way yep. than the alcoholic one and the abusive one. And so we have to start looking under the surface and say, what's wrong with my picker? You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, how did I get such a picker that I picked a person that abused me. Yep. And so you have to go into it. If you're going to take 100% responsibility for it, at some point you have to invent yourself out of that victim position and say, I take responsibility for my journey here on earth. There are just a couple of things about that I wanted to add to. When, when I withhold, it's not the content, it's the act of withholding. Because our expression, if I'm expressing and you're receiving, then we we create this flow of connection. And if I withhold, then it takes measurable physical energy to mm -hmm. do that. And then that removes me and disconnects me from you. Yes. And then in that disconnection, and especially in disconnection, we start getting scared. And when I'm scared, then you look like the enemy. And so right away, and this all happens unconsciously. Yes. Then then I can say or do anything because I'm not connected to you anymore. And then that caring that comes with connection disappears. So in the act of, it's like we we forget that I'm the movie projector and the movie. Yes. Yes. You know, and that it... movie over there, I'm the one who's projecting it yes. onto the other person. Do you have an example, I know you have some in the book, but do you have an example from your counseling sessions where a couple was projecting, just in case yes. people sort of don't know, can't kind of envision it? Yeah, well, here's a kind of, um, this is a, gets into some difficult things to talk about, but there was a couple that came that he had, he was having back pain and he had had something like 175 massages and 100 um, chiropractic adjustments. And, and wasn't he about to get he was about, yeah, he was about to get his spine fused Whoa. to get rid of back pain. Yeah. And this had been going on for three years. And he and his wife had developed a lot of troublesome relationship patterns. And one of them was the pattern of, I bet you've done things like this in relationship too, where you feel like something is making you crazy, you know, and feel crazy inside. And then you ask the other, is something going on with and you? Says, you know, oh, nothing. And they say, oh, no, everything's fine. What's the matter with you? What's the matter? You know, and you're just being crazy. <laughs> and 
so she had gone through that process, kept asking him what was wrong and what was wrong. And uh, at the same time, during this three-year period, she gained 40 pounds during this period where he was having these increased back pains and troubles in their relationship. They'd quit making love. And and anyway, they, they came in. They were from a, a faraway state. And so they came in for a three-day intensive and where they're the only people we work with for three days. And it, it does get very intense. <laughs> and so our treatment of his back pain took about two minutes right. uh, to cure the back pain because yeah. we get in, get, we're very nosy. We say, okay, what did you start doing three years ago that yep. caused the back know pain? where this is going. Mm-hmm. And what he was doing was having sex with his secretary every Tuesday during a three hour long lunch. And so he had been doing that for three years. Now, it wasn't the sex itself that would create the back pain, but think of his guilt. Of course. Okay? And then and his so, withholding. And yes. he's thinking, I'm pleasuring myself at the expense of my marriage, so I must Punish. somehow cause pain for yes. me. So now he's having the affair plus incapacitating back pain. So anyway, it came out, the thing about the secretary every well, Tuesday, well, there was a gigantic uproar about that. But we always say truth is healing because over the next few months, just because of the outing of that truth, his back pain went away. Yeah. Didn't have to get the spine fusion. She lost 30 or 40 pounds, like dropped off her just body off. Wow. over a period wow. of a month or so because she wasn't having to carry around mm-hmm. that unspoken truth right. inside for the right. whole marriage right. because yeah. he wasn't speaking the truth. She was feeling crazier and crazier and crazier. And you know, you'd think suddenly hearing your husband's been having an affair with the secretary, you know, that would be a terminal issue. But she managed to work through it and they got through it and reinvented their relationship. And, you know, that's to me, mm-hmm. that's a miracle when people can do that, you know, because a lot of people can't kind of go through the depths and then come out and reinvent themselves yeah. afterwards. But, you know, here's a guy now without back pain and a woman without 30 or 40 extra pounds, and they created a new life together, one that's based on telling each other the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing, you know, we get to live on a steady diet of miracles Mm. around here. That's one reason, you know, (laughs) that, well, our own relationship is great. You know, we've been living in this flow of love for 42 years, but we get to see this light come on in people all the time Mm. in our seminars and then work with people where suddenly they the truth dawns on them that they've been working this pattern for 50 years and they don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, there's this new access to creativity inside yeah. of themselves. Well, I love learning about the idea of projection because I I feel like it's a way to do healing work on yourself. Yes. yes. So the example that I remember in the book was sh- this woman, a uh, husband and wife worked together and she was worried that he was attracted to women that they worked with. And she kept saying, like, are you having an affair? Are you having an affair? And then when you guys pushed, it was sort of like she was starting to have feelings (laughs) about something. So she was projecting on him. Yes. Yes. Well, that's very common, actually. Uh, And I remember that. Um, But, you know, it's almost always the case. If you're pointing the finger out here at something, there's usually something inside that you aren't willing to point the finger Mm -hmm. at. And finally, you have to take responsibility, not as a burden or a blame, but just say, 
oh, here's how I'm creating that. You know, yeah. the, the wonder of creation, of realizing, oh, I'm the source of that pattern that keeps having my relationships look like the t Titanic. Yeah. You know, that I'm causing that. It wasn't the other person that they always left me after three months, you know. We had another couple that I'm just thinking of, too. Do you remember the couple that came in that she had gone off to a different town to work on her uh, PhD dissertation, right. and she had a one-night stand? Yes, yes, yes. This was amazing. Oh, this was a classic, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when they came in, it classically looked like she was the bad guy and he was the victim because she had gone off to work on her dissertation with her advisor and had a one-night stand and then had come back. And the next six months had been all about, you know... Oh, she'd been trying to apologize yeah. and, you know, she'd just been sort of, you know, abject and he just wouldn't forgive her. Wouldn't and it forgive was just... her and you bitch, you know, yeah. you you betrayed our relationship. So <laughs> when it's that polarized, what could possibly that be about? Well... When we finally had the breakthrough, his story, which he had never realized that this was an effect, was when he was a little boy, he was one of four sons, and his mother ran off with another man when he was four years old. And so he spent his whole childhood getting lectured by his dad, don't trust women, they'll always cheat on you, you know, uh, and so he unconsciously just acted out this pattern. It was almost like, you know, when he realized, why would I dream it up like that? Well, it's because that's how you were programmed. Yeah. You were programmed to have a woman abandon you. Right. And so that's, again, a problem of his picker because he picked a woman somehow out of the three and a half billion people <laughs> on this planet who was willing to act out the other end yeah. of his programming. Why do we do this? Why do we, in relationships, basically try and live out a pattern that was established as children for us? Well, it's just like a favorite song. You know, when you learn a favorite song and you've been singing it and singing it and someone comes and sings one stanza, you can fill in the rest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, you're so right. I, one of my college professors introduced me to that concept when I was, you know, back in uh, my undergraduate work. And I just loved it because we all have things that there might be something attractive about the whole song or parts of it, or it's catchy, you know, or it's familiar. In fact, that's a really helpful question when you're wondering, is this a projection or not, is to ask, hmm, is there anything familiar yes. about this? Because that will lead you into what you learned that may not be something that you still want to choose. Yeah, that's so good. It's like, what does this remind me of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So y'all have been together 42 years. You're yeah. sitting here and counting can, and counting. And <laughs> we can feel the energy of your relationship sitting in the room with you. I know you have so many pieces of advice, but what do you think is like, if we had to choose one thing, you mm. each get to answer separately. What is like the okay. one thing that you're like, this is how we're still so in love 42 years later? I would say the the choosing over and over again to appreciate, uh, appreciate what's here right now and the whole act of appreciating, of being sensitively aware of, that connecting um, has created this dance of connection that we're always inventing new expressions of loving each other. 
And to me, that's really the joy of, of just some little little gestures, big things, but the flow of love comes from the act of appreciating. That's good. I would say for me, it's always coming home to loving as much as I can from wherever I happen to be at the moment. You know, loving, you know, back during the years when we were kind of working out stuff between us, you know, we'd often get to places where, you know, I discover something unlovable about myself, like my critical nature, that kind of thing, which was hard to kind of get rid of in my first 10 years with Katie, because my default- He was really good at it. Yeah, I would <laughs> always... They made a profession. I mean, yeah. he was a professor. A genius level. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it was really learning to love those aspects of myself and then realizing that there was nothing over here that I- needed to criticize or mm. find fault with or anything like that. That was just my personality and getting beyond my personality and just realizing I'm so blown away by your very being. You know, I'm still 42 years later, I'm absolutely blown away that I get to be married to you. That, <laughs> you know, this is uh, getting to live in the flow of love like this. And after all the stuff we've done to kind of eliminate the obstacles to it, but the work is worthwhile because for the past 20 or 30 years, it's been just the flow, you know, and there's nothing better than having a partner that you can love and grow and be with in all the aspects mm -hmm. of your life. You don't necessarily have to be both in the same field or anything like we are, but that kind of helps in a way because, you know, we're both fascinated by the same kinds of mm -hmm. things. And that really is, uh, but, you know, every time I open your mouth, I just can't believe <laughs> that I get to sit here and talk to you, you know, and the sound of your voice and mm, the, thank you, darling. you know, radiant essence that I still see that I first saw that, that yeah. when I walked into that room, you know, that, uh, to me is, um, you know, that sacred stuff. That's, mm, I still feel the same thrill when Gay walks in the door as when I first heard him open his mouth. <laughs> and to me, to, uh, you can keep recreating and regenerating romance over and over again, just with the things that we've been talking about and practicing those. And the the whole idea that you can use all of that energy that you've been engaged in projecting and power struggles and who gets to be in control, whatever you want yeah. to generate together, supporting each other in projects that you're wanting to be creating and co-creating together and enjoying the flow of love and, and creativity between you. Because most people, I think there was a statistic some, some time ago that the, the amount of loving conversation that, that couples have during a day is like something less than 15 minutes. Mm. So just imagine if you were not hassling each other, how you could be spending your time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And just like our conversation, this one has, we've already gone over an hour, which is so amazing. And I feel like I could sit here with you guys forever and keep talking. I'm so grateful for oh, the wisdom and the time. And I know the audience is going to love this so much. Oh, I'm so uh, glad. Yeah. Will you tell them if they're listening, what book you think they should grab if they want to take a deeper dive where they can find out more about your work? Yes. Uh, well, Conscious Loving and uh, that was the first one we were on Oprah with 30 years ago. So that kind of became the Bible of our relationship work. And then The Big Leap, which came out about uh, 10 years or so ago, 
those are great places to start. Yeah, great yeah. places to start. And, um, the and best- then, yeah, and then on uh, our, we have two websites, Hendrix.com and foundationforconsciousliving.org, which is for our charitable foundation. And we have all kinds of processes, ways to assist people in diving more deeply into the how of awesome. how you get from where you are to where you want to go. Incredible. Gay, Katie, thank you so much for the time. This was such a blessing. Thank Thank you. you. You're always welcome here. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.